Hi, all. Double G here from Fight Game Media. Our Patreon, aka Fight Game Media Network Plus, recently turned one. We've been through a lot of trial and error, as well as progress with the network, and we want to thank our subscribers, both old and new, with a token of our appreciation. Literally, a digital token. We've created our very first POAP. If you don't know what that is, think of it as an NFT that celebrates an event. If you don't know what an NFT is, well, Google will help you with that. If you join Fight Game Media Network Plus today at patreon.com front slash fight game media, you can claim your year one Fight Game Media Network Plus POAP. We're only doing 100 of them. So join now to claim your prize. It's just $5 per month. And we have a ton of current and historical audio content waiting for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Toro, and joining me every single week is the one and only Robert Silva. And Robert, I don't know about you, but this certainly, this past Saturday, and as far as quantity, not necessarily quality, but quantity, this may have been the biggest Saturday of boxing that I can remember in recent memory, maybe in many, many years. In fact, it was so big, the car, all the boxing ended on Sunday. Uh, this was the biggest day of boxing I've ever seen in my life. Right? I've been watching boxing since 1977. You had fights from 7 o'clock in the morning till after midnight. I've never seen that before on any day and any time in my entire life. Yeah, so apologies if this uh, this show is a little recap-heavy, but we had shows starting with Russia, then moving to Dubai, then Liverpool, then Madison Square Garden, and then Dignity Health Sports Park. Like, it was an absolute, like, marathon. Actually, no, that, I, I, that, that would actually be, that's actually inaccurate because marathons are much, much shorter than what we essentially had. We had boxing from 7 a.m., as Robert said, to all the way to 1.30 a.m. the next mm-hmm. day. So about as about as front-loaded of a boxing Saturday that I can honestly remember. Yeah, it, it really is the biggest Saturday ever. So let's kind of get right into it. So mm-hmm. we begin with Russia. Where there was, I mean, technically there was there was boxing on YouTube on the RCC boxing promotion show in Russia, but that really wasn't the main focus. At least that portion of the show. The main portion of the show was Dmitry Bivol versus Umar Salamov, which was actually on the zone for the WBA light heavyweight title. And I mean, have you ever seen a Dmitry Bivol fight? Especially in his last couple of title defenses, you kind of seen already this fight. Bivol. Even though he was technically the small man, he dominated the fight with his jab, controlled the pace, very uncompetitive, easily, in my opinion, the worst main event out of the, I guess, five main events that we're going to be discussing uh, for this past Saturday. It was a very impressive, very dominant, but very lackluster win for Dimitri Bivol, who won by unanimous decision, should have been, you know, 120-1 away across the board, but all the judges, I believe, had... 
one round, one pity round, I should say, to Umar Salamov. And this was, uh, I mean, this was a showcase fight, but if you're talking about trying to ready yourself mm. and getting yourself psyched up for Saturday, boy, this could not have started off at a, a, on a worse note. I'm tired of Dimitri Bival and Demetrius Andrade fighting guys that are beneath them. Um, Eddie Hearn is both their promoter, right? Yes. He's got to step his game up, man. He's he's wasting these guys' prime years. Um, I'm tired. It's the same cookie-cutter guys they fight over and over and over again. Eddie's got to force the issue with one, with one one of the other champions. Shit, put the have them fight each other if need be, because it's not doing anything for their career. Carlos, I have seen throughout my lifetime when fighters have dominated against lesser opposition, that eventually they get caught when they fight one of these lesser guys out of nowhere, and they get caught with a shot, and they lose their title. Um, uh, this was. Wash, what's the wash, rinse, repeat? I'm tired of it. Yeah, it's almost, and not only that, you know, you start to develop some kind of like bad habits when you're very bad, very bad, very bad habits, very bad habits. And it, it, these guys, Andrade and Bivol, they, they have Hall of Fame ability. But like Carlos said, if they're not put with guys on their level, you get to. You 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 begin to get those bad habits, and it will cost you when you fight a good fighter. I I don't I don't know what's there for these guys. I'm tired of seeing these guys against these these stiffs that the sanctioned bodies throw throw against them. And it's not like Bivol. It's not like there's no contenders to ha- to fight in the light heavyweight division. I mean, Heberto Ramirez, who's going to be fighting this Saturday, he's a more than capable contender. Yes. And I mean, we just saw Callum Smith not that long ago look incredibly impressive in exactly. his first fight since yes. the loss to Canelo Alvarez. Great points, great points. And I don't know why these guys who both fight on the zone can't get in the ring with Dimitri. It doesn't make sense to me. So the card also was supposed to have, Russia was supposed to have a Patrick Teixeira, Magomed Korborov fight, 154 pounds, which was a very, very interesting fight, but it got canceled at the 11th hour and 59th minute because Korborov was suffering from a high fever following the weigh-in, so it got Uh canceled. In fact, it was canceled so last second that the broadcasters, it almost seemed like the broadcasters weren't even made aware in the middle of the broadcast that the fight got called off. That's how last second it was. Uh, and yep. again, not much to say from that show. And so now we move on to Dubai, which was the first official show under the Upstart Pro Bellum banner, which depending on what you may or may not know about the behind the scenes and with some of the people working in Probellum and the whole nine yards with a certain individual of ill repute who may or may not be involved. We're not, we're not going to mention that man's name, but um, I, I know where you're going. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, and trust me, for those of you who do not know what we're talking about, it's, a very, very long story, and I do yes. mean a very long story. So we're going to put that aside in a second. Uh, oh, wait. So the show itself, Pro Bellum, was 
it was weird. So last week's show, we didn't have any way, any definitive way of telling you how to watch the show. The day after we record, it was announced that the fight, that the car was going to air on Access TV. Which... Beautiful. That was beautiful. Yes. I was, when, 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 you, when you tweeted that, I was shocked. I was like, oh, shit. Because Access TV hasn't had boxing on in a long time. They used to have regular boxing shows on Access. Not anymore. And maybe this is the start of something, Carlos. Maybe. Maybe. But, yeah. You, so, if you didn't have Access and you're in the States, you did also have the ability to watch it on Probella, on a special Probellum stream that they had for those who signed up. And... I will tell you, I'm going to be up front, this is how I watched it, and all it amounted to was a an unlisted YouTube link. And that is still why. So if you actually happen to watch the YouTube, uh, the YouTube stream of it, the private YouTube stream of it, you happen to have it saved up, whether you put it on your watch later videos or on your liked, you can actually still watch it right now. And... So I don't know how I'm how much I would recommend it because this was an absolute shit show from almost the very beginning. Man. In fact, actually, it wasn't even a shit show from the beginning. It was a shit show two days before. Two days before the card even took place. The co-made event was, was supposed hey, to be. Be, be. Before you continue, where did they get the money? Well, I know where they got the money. <laughs> I thought Michael Buffer was exclusively the zone. I, 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 may, I Remember don't know when he signed was, with the zone? I, uh, three years ago, it was an exclusive contract because he hasn't been on Showtime or or, or uh, top rank uh, ESPN or he's always he's only been with the zone. I, I didn't I, I don't know where he shows up. It's possible that the contract either ran out or okay. that things got amended or maybe does it was the you know, buffer was too okay. pricey for the zone. So they thought, okay, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll allow you to take outside gigs. He's too pricey for anybody. I mean, I don't know what his going rate is, but it, I bet you, uh, Carlos, mm-hmm. that he got paid more Saturday morning than any fighter that fought on that card. <laughs> so the co-main event of this show was originally supposed to be John Riel Casimero versus Paul Butler for the WBO Bantamweight title. Two days before, Casimero... Actually, well, technically, the day before the fight, at the weigh-ins, Casimero doesn't show up. It's revealed that he never showed up to the weigh-ins because he was admitted to a hospital in Dubai, nearby. And no one knew what was going to be the status of both his title and the fight itself. And it was heavily speculated that the reason he was hospitalized was because of Dehydration, though I don't know how officially was, confirmed he, that was. Was wasn't he way overweight and he was trying his hardest to lose it? That was what is what was being speculated. So, and, and obviously, technically, you can't lose your title if you never showed. If you can't, right, if, right. you can't go to the weigh-ins. Had he gone to the weigh-ins, and, well, what I understand is he he, he he did he he just fought a few months ago. How can he not make weight? I I I, I have no idea. So. If you ju- if he just fought a few months ago, he's in the gym all the time. What the fuck? I have no idea. I I, I I'm speechless. So the I WBO, could see if you were, I could see if you were eight to twelve months out, but he just fought. W the WBO 
then said, okay, you got to, you got to give us, te- you got to show us 10 days as to why you were in the hospital and, and give us, you know, a lot of papers and a lot of documentation about your state. And if you don't, then you're immediately stripped of the title. And right. you're thinking, okay, then there's got to be a backup option. Well, the WBO did have a backup option. Paul Butler versus 40-plus-year-old Joseph Agbeko. Oh. Who, some- who, who, who came up with this idea? I, when I saw Agbeko, I was like, Agbeko? Agbeko was last world champion a decade ago. He's fought nothing but stiffs the last few years. How the hell is he in a in a, in a interim title fight? Yes, they said it was. They said basically, with Casimero not there, but Agbeko was there. He also made the bantamweight limit, so made it for an interim title. And if Casimero didn't comply with what the WBO ordered him to do with the documentation, then the winner of Paul Butler versus Joseph Agbeko would be elevated to full world champion immediately. But like with the Patrick Teixeira and Magomed Kurbarov fight at the 11th hour and 59th minute, in fact, I'm pretty sure this was announced as the show was actually starting, not necessarily the access, but I guess the non-access prelims, that the fight was called off. The Paul Butler-Akbeko fight was called off, except no reason was given. I didn't hear one. No one no one even knew where to even speculate as to why this fight was called off. Everything maybe, was fine. Maybe, maybe the uh maybe the WBO Board of Governors realized what a travesty of a title shot t- uh, interim title fight this was gonna be in this I mean it'd be a hell of a I mean it'd be it'd be a hell of a one eighty in less than twenty four hours to do so. I mean, why even? How, how did the WBO even have him rank in the top fifteen to begin with? I don't know. I don't know. That meant that he should have retired a long time ago. I don't understand this. I don't. So, moving on to the actual show, because this all took place before the show even began. The new co-main event: Donnie Nietes versus Norbelto Jimenez. A depending on who you're asking, scheduled 10-round fight. The fight starts off with Nietes looking pretty darn good, but Jimenez eventually started a pretty good rally, made the adjustments, and he looked really confident heading into the championship rounds. Except Jimenez wasn't going to be fighting in the championship rounds because he had already fought them. Before the fight began, the <laughs> ring announcer says, this is a scheduled 12-round fight. To the surprise but, of Norbelto hey, Jimenez, when the 10th round knew, ended... Nietzsche knew it was 12 rounds. <laughs> no, Nietzsche I mean, knew... He knew like, it was 10 rounds. He knew it was 10 rounds, right? Here's the thing. The fight was never 12 rounds. The fight was 10 rounds. 10 rounds. Except the ring announcer didn't get the memo. He said it was 12. It was actually 10. And... Jimenez's team throughout the entire fight were asking, what the hell? Wait, is this 12? Is this 10? And so once the 10th round ended, Nietes was standing up as if the fight ended, but Jimenez went to the corner thinking he was going to go to round 11. Then the fight gets called, and it gets called into a split draw. 
and justifying, you know, justifiable anger came from Jimenez and his team because Jimenez was going to head into what could have been an 11th round with a lot of momentum and have to fight on two more rounds. There's a good chance Jimenez might have actually pulled off the upset and beaten Donnie Nietes. Except he had to I now had settle for a split draw. I had given Jimenez the last two rounds, so there is a good chance he would have won the fight had it gone, had it continued. Uh, but you know what? Um, that's that's a whose fault is that? Because how Nietes knew, but Jimenez didn't. How, ooh, whose fault is it? Besides the ring announcer, whose fault is it that that Jimenez thought it was a twelve round fight? They signed for a ten round fight, right? They, I would assume so. I mean, otherwise, so all of a sudden he's going to unless oh, they, they unless they skimmed it. It's possible they may have skimmed that part and didn't, and it never registered to them that it was actually ten rounds. Well, you know what? That that that's a possibility because the fight, the 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 uh, the the card was scheduled for four hours on Access TV, and it ended fifteen minutes before the. the it ended 15 minutes. It, 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 the car lasted three hours and 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if the, it would have been a 12-round fight, it was a chance it could have gone over the four hours scheduled on television. May, maybe? I don't know. It, I mean, this, again, this is a complete Because I don't show. think Access TV is going to continue, is going to go past the, for, it's one of those networks where they have scheduled programming. Mm-hmm. And I think if we'd have been in the middle of the ninth round of the, of the god-awful main event, that it would have went off the year in the middle of the night round. <laughs> and that main event. Main event. As brief as possible. That was horrible. Oh, my God. I was fighting sleep. The main event and, and, for and, the IBF flyweight title, you got Sonny be... Edwards versus Jason Mama. And like Robert said, it, it was is... not a great fight. Fights actually, interestingly fun. enough, the fight started off somewhat competitive. Jason Mama was trying to be very yeah. aggressive Well. Sonny Edwards was trying to make the adjustments, but the moment Sonny Edwards started to fully process what Jason Mama was all about, and Mama, all he did was just go forward and try to outpunch and outslug Sonny Edwards, which he was never going to do so successfully. This was a kind of a boring, lackluster, one-sided affair. Sonny Edwards just dominated. I mean, he was... He he was, he continued the, the great run that he's been having... Just effortlessly outboxing Jason Mama, using tremendous angles. His range was in full control of the fight. His jab was great. He was landing the hard shots when he needed to, but he also knew when to step away from the action. I mean, this was a boxing clinic for the last eight, nine rounds, and it was did not, did not make for great TV. We need to see Sonny Edwards and Martinez. All right, let's let's get this fight done before Martinez gets bloodied by another fighter. Let's get this fight together. It was a, I mean, the, as lackluster as this title defense was, you came out of it thinking, boy, Sonny Edwards is. I mean, you can argue Sonny Edwards is the best pure boxer in the flyweight division right now. If you put a gun to my head, Carlos, I'd pick Sonny to beat Martinez by decision. Only way Martinez could beat Sonny is by knocking him out. He'd have, and he'd have to take a lot of punishment to do that. Right, and you know I'm still fifty fifty on that because I need to see how Sonny it, Edwards it, gets tested, get his chin tested by a guy as strong as uh, Julio Cesar oh, Martinez. But 
it would yeah. it would be great. It would be a great fight because of the contrasting styles. And we still, like you said, we don't know Edward's chin yet. And Martinez will catch him from time to time. Even if Edwards does a masterful job of boxing, he's not going to go 12 rounds without getting caught with at least one tremendous shot. So before we move on to the afternoon portion of Saturday... I wanted to tell you all about our Patreon, a.k.a. Fight Game Media Network Plus. We have four exclusive and weekly podcasts on the Patreon, including John LaRocca and Double G, covering 1997 WWF and soon 1998 WWF. Paul and Jeff Hawkins covering every AEW Dynamite show Wednesday night, a couple of hours after Dynamite is over. Scott Edwards' five-star Joshi show and the full version of Brace for Impact with Mike Gilbert and J.D. Oliva. Also, we have monthly bonus content from all shows from our feed, including ours. Robert, we had discussed this earlier. We had discussed this, you know, not not long ago. But tell the fine folks what we got in store for this first show. What fight are we going to be discussing? We're going to go back 35 years ago, September 27th, 1986 to do the first of a series of greatest upsets in boxing history. And the first one from September 27, 1986 that we will discuss and analyze is one of the greatest upsets ever in the history of the welterweight division. And that was the undisputed welterweight champion of the world, Donald Curry, facing Lloyd Hunnigan in a brutal upset. I mean, I was shocked. I was shocked. So we're going to talk about it. I was 18 at the time, so I will, I will talk about what was going on in the boxing world at the time. Um, what, uh, Where was Curry's position? Um, how the American media and the American fans had never heard of Lloyd Hunnigan. So that's a quick, uh, a, a quick, a brief synopsis of what are we talking about. Lloyd Hunnigan versus Donald Curry. September 27th, 1986. I'm very excited because, you know, this is also a chance for me to visit to visit fights that I had never previously seen. And this was the fight that I had never seen before Robert was the one who suggested it. So you'll get to hear my... You never saw this fight? Oh, wow. This is great. <laughs> this is not, and, and to be honest, I haven't watched this fight in 30 years. Because at the point when Curry lo- uh, lost this, uh, his welterweight title to uh, Hunnigan... He was one of my favorite, two or three favorite fighters in the world, probably number two after Thomas Hearns at the time. And when he when he lost, I was disgusted and I, I, I try not to watch it. So this will be the first time I've watched this fight since 89, 90. <laughs> so we now move on to the afternoon portion of the sh- uh, of Saturday, which was the zone card from, I believe it was Liverpool. And... Main event, Connor Ben versus Chris Algieri last week, or I think it was two weeks ago. Robert and I were on the opposite side as to who would win the, co- uh, the this main event. I had picked Connor Ben because I thought this was going to be the fight where we're finally going to see Ben take that next step that he desperately needed to take. Because he was starting to fall behind a lot of young and up-and-coming welterweights who are also making a lot of noise in the last 18 months. And Robert, you picked Chris Algieri, and I can respect the decision because Algieri is a 
Very tough veteran who always comes to fight. He looked very good in the fight against Mick Lepierre four months ago. He's always in mm -hmm. tremendous shape despite his age. And I can respect the pick. I can respect the reasoning. However, Connor Ben just blasted Chris Algieri with just a picture-perfect 1-2 in the fourth round. Land... It was about as beautiful for one-two combination as I've seen in in quite a while, and Al it just completely knocks Algieri almost unconscious when that happened. He dominated the fight and almost kind of pulled. It got a knockdown. I mean, he technically did get a knockdown in the second round, although it wasn't. He kind of hit him almost. Actually, he didn't even hit him at all. It wasn't really a clean punch that landed. But the funny part was Algieri. He kind of got his feet tangled there, and he almost Sonic the Hedgehog spin dashes himself through the ropes and out of the ring, <laughs> which I can't, I don't think I've ever seen before. I've never seen, that. I've never seen that. That was something else. That was acrobat. That was acrobat. By the way, Algeria needs to retire. I was completely shocked at how listless he looked. Connor Ben, I will give you credit, Carlos. He's for real. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be the welterweight champion of the world. That division is stacked, but he is a dangerous opponent for anybody. You know who I would love to see him fight? Who? Virgil Ortiz. I would love to see that fight. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a really good fight. And, boy, I, I don't know. Maybe down the line it happens, but... I mean, it it, all, it definitely seems like Ben and the way he's well, if that, being promoted. All right, what about, okay, they're talking about Adrian Broner. Is there any chance of that happening? If there was maybe a 0.001% chance that it was maybe happening before Saturday, after that knockout, I'm almost certain it's not going to okay. happen. Because I don't think Broner should ever get in the ring again. He's done. He's done. He throws five punches around. Um, ben will blast him. Um, that really won't prove anything. Um, no. No, it, I it think wouldn't. if there's a way, and I don't think there's a way, if you could get him in against a Danny Garcia or a, a, a Jesse Vargas, one of those, that could be the next step he could take. You, and know, then, you know what's actually a name that I don't know who was the first who thought of this, and we'll actually talk about his fight soon, but why not Connor Ben versus Cody Crowley? I would love that fight. I would love that fight. Oh, by the way, another Eastern European um, <laughs> IBF number one contender exposed. Where did they find these guys? That guy was horrible. That I guy has know. no business being a number one contender. Well, he well, had a flash knockdown. <laughs> that was it. He was horrible. We'll talk about uh, Abdukakarov's fight he made, later. He made, he, made, he made Crawley look like Caleb Plant before Caleb fought Canelo. <laughs> But yeah, Connor Ben looked mighty impressive yeah. there. Yes. The co-main event was Katie credit. Taylor versus Feroza Sharipovov for the undisputed women's lightweight title. Katie Taylor had a pretty had a fairly tougher than expected fight against Sharipova. Sharipova was looking very competitive at times, but it ultimately ended with Katie Taylor retaining her titles by unanimous decision. And I mean, Katie did not look super impressive here but she keeps the the hopes of a possible fight against amanda serrano alive and i did feel really really good 
in the post-fight interview where Eddie Hearn was talking about that potential fight that he wants to put it at Madison Square Garden in the spring. It makes all the sense in the world to it, have it wait, there. Wait, 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 wait. It should be March 17th. How many times are we going to talk about this? I mean, that's technically the spring, spring, so. Well, no, Mar- the spring just starts on March 20th. <laughs> yeah. and I, I've grown up where it's like... Man, December, January, February. PR, That's oh, winter. Oh, you, you've got beautiful weather all year round. It, but be, to be honest, it has to be March 17th in Madison Square Garden with uh, Michael Conlon as the co-main. I think that's, that's how it should be. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, that's I think that's how it should be, especially with and you can put it the in, promotional it, rights to his next fight with against Lee Wood. And I think, and I think uh, that card could sell out the Big Garden. Never mind the Hulu Theater; they could put it in the Big Garden. I, I think it would it would be great. We already did be... this experiment, and yeah, 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 you can make that fight. You can make that fight happen. Let's do that. Let's do that, uh, Eddie. Get get this fight together, because uh, you're not doing a great job promoting your fighters right now, man. I'm 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 I like Eddie, but I'm highly disappointed in in the way he's uh, promoted several of his big names. So come on, get this done. We go into the ESPN Plus exclusive undercard of the Vasily Lomachenko versus Richard Comey fight that aired on ESPN television. The reason why I'm focusing on the undercard was because there's a couple of names that I wanted to just highlight. First of all, Sandra Zayas, I think with his first round stoppage over Alessi, uh, Alessio Monstro Nuncio, I think that locks out prospect of the year for Sandra Zayas. I'm pissed off that they got this clown, this goof, Nico Ali Walsh, fight on ESPN instead of Xander. Well, what the f- Why? I agree. I agree with you in the sense, but I mean, this this felt like not just a top ranked decision, but an ESPN slash ABC oh, no. uh, it, slash it, Disney it, type of decision. It was it was it was an Aram and ESPN decision. All right, Aram is going to push this kid to the moon. Right? It it it, it came down to the whoever is whoever who's in charge of the ESPN. Um, Boxing telecast like programming. Who's in charge of that? Do you know? Uh, I, I honestly don't know because I believe whoever that guy is changeover. Whoever that guy recently. is, it was him and Aram got together and said, "Yeah, we're going to put." Never mind that Zandazias, Zayas, like we've said before, is going to be the first great Puerto Rican middleweight champion. Mark, mark our words. He's going to be the first great. Puerto Rican middleweight champion. I don't count Cotto and Trinidad because they had cups of coffee. I'm talking about a real Puerto Rican middleweight. Yeah, he, I mean, Sander looked so impressive and he's looking better and better, especially now that he's moving on up to 154 pounds. He's looking a lot better now. By the time he gets to world title shot, he'll be 160. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, another name that I also wanted to point out was. Uh, John Bauza, who another Puerto Rican prospect, who just blasted uh, Michael Williams Jr. in a battle of unbeaten prospects with a four-round TKO win. But first of all, I mean Williams. Uh, yeah, if you just look at his box score, right, you'll see why he got to nineteen. Oh, if he was fighting, he was just fighting. As Robert would say, 
stiffs and stiffs and stiffs yep. all over. Like his first, he didn't he didn't get a a fight against a guy with a win on his record until his sixth pro fight. So who's who's that heavyweight Don King um promotes who recently lost his first fight after beating. Uh, was it Christopher Lovejoy? Yeah, he's beat. He beat bomb after bomb after bomb, and then he lost to a bomb. <laughs> so yeah, so Bob Babauza looked mighty impressive. He's a prospect to watch out. He's also another Puerto Rican, so could be a pretty good fighter coming up at a 140 pound division that is slowly, slowly potentially opening up, depending on what happens with Josh Taylor and those belts. But yeah, I just wanted to mention those real but quick. I, I don't understand. Why people and Taylor's camp are pushing for him to go to 147. He's going to get smoked. He cannot beat the top 147 pounders. He's not beating Bud. He's not beating Spence. He's not beating Ennis. Yeah, he might beat Virgil Ortiz, but whoop the damn do. I, I don't understand it. Stay at 140 and make yourself a legacy. You're not winning at 147. No, I don't see it. <laughs> He barely beat Regis Prograce and, and Ramirez at 140. How's he going to go up to 147 and beat Bud Crawford, Errol Spence, or Boots Ennis? It doesn't make sense to me. The ESPN televised portion, which was the, I guess, the annual, somewhat annual, post-Heisman Trophy celebration broadcast, which was, it was a four-fight card, and for maybe the first... 75 minutes, this was about the best-paced boxing show ever. It started off with Nico Ali Walsh and... I'm blanking on the name. It, it was Nico Ali Walsh versus Reyes Sanchez. Reyes Sanchez. In, I guess, technically a battle of unbeaten prospects, Ali Walsh was 2-0 and Reyes Sanchez was 6-0. Ali Walsh wins by majority decision 40-36, 38-38, and 39-37. Ali Walsh started off okay in the first two rounds, and then afterwards he just started just gasping for air and just falling behind really quickly as Sanchez just sad. started to outbox him in the last two rounds. I personally had it a draw. 40-36 is a f- abysmal card. Uh, they they had it. They had he he can't he 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 can't even make four rounds without almost dropping dead of exhaustion. Why why is this guy on television? I know why he's on television, but this is a goddamn shame, man. This is horrible. He makes Edgar Belanga look like James Tony in his prime. Come on, man. It, it was just not good. And listen, he's not. It, he has no business being on national television. You know what you do with this guy if you really want to try and set him up. You have him like he's the American version of Campbell Hatton. You have to keep these guys off TV and have them work clubs and. Work their way up and you know fight stiffs and then and then gradually, gradually fight better fighters and then maybe after 24, 25 fights you could put him on TV. He's getting expo- exposed right away and then he's gonna be forced eventually to fight somebody real. He's gonna get hurt. I mean, he's gonna get it's hurt. not. I just don't. Well, I, I and listen I, and I, I don't. I, and my problem look, actually is I never heard of this guy before. Before Jude, all of a sudden he's fighting on ESPN. Carlos, what the hell did he do in the amateurs? I don't think he ever. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think he had really much of an amateur career to begin with. Oh God, this is this is this is this is. He's learning. He's learning the sport on the 
like oh. he's learning on the fly essentially. And look, and I don't have a problem with Ali Wall look, Ali Walsh well, from, he, from but, the interviews, he seems like a genuinely great guy, but no, because not, of his nice last kid. name, he's, he's put into nice this kid. position. He's a nice kid, but this he's got no business being in the ring. At least Marvis Frazier was a was was an accomplished amateur. Mm-hmm. This guy is a joke. Yeah, I just yeah, I mean, I feel bad, to, you know, for Ollie Walsh. He's going to get respect, hurt. But. He's going to get hurt real bad. Oh, my God. All right. Let, you know, we spent enough time on the clown show. Keep going. So, on Keyshawn to a, Davis. We, we spoke about Xander Sayas being the prospect of the year for 2021. Keyshawn Davis may as well be the favorite, one of the favorites to be prospect of the year for 2022 because Keyshawn Davis just stops Jose Saragossa in the second round, moves to 4-0, and and his first pro fight since winning a silver medal in the Olympics a couple of months ago. Keyshawn, you, you talk about, when you think about, like, think about, like, college football. Think about, like, a college football prospect, a quarterback. And you're thinking about his prospects in the NFL. And one of the highest compliments that a quarterback in that position can get is this guy, his style and his skill set, they're NFL ready. He plays like he's already an NFL NFL quarterback. And Keyshawn already fights like he has been in the pro for years. Yes, yes. Well, it also helps that he's fought the best amateurs in the world even before he turned pro and then when he went back to the Olympics. He's only like uh, Andre Ward said. The only person he couldn't beat was the Cuban. The man's tremendous. He's a tremendous fighter. He's got a lot of Shakur Stevenson in him. Man, yeah. this kid's going to be good. He's got a lot of Shakur in him with the combinations and the defense and the placement. Yeah, yeah, and that's another thing. And like, here's the thing: like, skill wise, he yes. is just unbelievable. But because look, his physical attributes. Let's be honest; it's not otherworldly. He's not like ultra fast like a Ryan Garcia or a younger Amir Khan or anything like that but he just does everything so well as a boxer his IQ is already leaps and bounds above someone even comparing to like Olympic medal winning peers are hey he's always in the right spot to either defend or to to land Trouble. I mean, he's got God-given ability that you can't teach. Yeah, no, like, the and the ama- the amazing thing is like the thing that still needs to develop is, I guess, the physical aspect. He's only twenty-two. He's still got a couple of years before he actually enters the physical prime. So imagine yep. the skills yep. that he already has. Imagine a few more years of actually fine-tuning those skills, and add that with a much big, much better physical. Uh, repertoire. This kid, this kid's gonna be, he's gonna be real dangerous. I would actually top, venture very soon. Top, top rank has three incredible young fighters under the age of twenty-five that could go miles. We're talking about Xander, Shakur, and Keyshawn. I mean, the, the the sky's the limit for all three. I I would I would argue four. Because oh, Jared, in the oh, co-main, because in the co-main event, Jared Anderson, Jared yeah, Anderson, about, uh, yeah, yeah, make it four. My bad, you're right. Make it four. Jared Anderson just obliterates Alexander Teslenko with in the second round. 
And you want to talk about a heavyweight prospect who whose ceiling is almost sky high. And I don't they, just mean they, inside they need, the ring, outside the ring. He, his charisma is unbelievable. They need to stop throwing him softballs, though. It's, it, enough of the Tezlenkos. Let's get – now he needs to fight contenders. Enough of this. Um, you know who I would love to see him fight? Because uh, before this guy's stock falls, try to get him a fight with Michael Hunter. Because Hunter looked horrible in his last fight, and he's ready He's ready for a beating by Jarrett. Make that fight. He needs to fight the Michael Hunters of the world. No more Tislenkos. Let's stop with that. It's not going to do anything for his development. Yeah, but, but first of all, did you see the the amazing uh, ring walk that Jared Anderson had? It, it I, was phenomenal. I, 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 I fast forward because I I, I, uh, I I came home for work and I had DVR'd it. So I fast forwarded straight to the to the ring introductions. So he comes out walking into the ring with the best swagger walk that I think I've ever seen. He comes out dressed up, and I guess from the for those who don't know, he's saying, "Um, like Jared Anderson dressed up like a pimp, walking with the cane, with the fur coat, and the hat." But it was an homage to the Ohio players, and he looked, he just looked so comfortable and looks so damn good and so confident heading into the ring how far is toledo from from where you live toledo i i don't know if it's two or four hours it's uh okay about just a little more than two hours all right all right, because uh, he's gonna be that next great fighter out of Ohio. He will put the, put put it down. Uh, man, I'm trying to think how many heavyweight champions came from Ohio. I would venture not many. Is Michael many. is Michael Dokes from Ohio? Michael who? Michael Dokes. Oh, uh, hmm. I don't know. I have. No I know Ronaldo Stikes was from Ohio, but he was never heavyweight champion. I know Ernie Shavers was from Ohio, but he was never heavyweight champion. Michael though because King had all these Ohio heavyweights at one time. I was wondering if Mike anyway, uh he's he's gonna be the best heavyweight ever to come out of Ohio, uh without a doubt. I'm not saying he's oh well no, nah, let me backtrack because Ezra Charles is from um Cincinnati. Yeah, Mike, Michael Dokes was, was is from Akron. Yeah. All right, so I was right. I was right. Okay, so he's the best heavyweight out of Ohio since Michael Dokes. Yeah. And he has the potential to be better than Dokes. So let's go. Let's stop with the Teslenkos. Let's put him in with real fighters. And kudos to him. I didn't see the ring walk. But if he did an homage to the Ohio players, one of the greatest soul groups to ever come out of Ohio, that just shows that he's paying homage to his forefathers and people that came before him from Ohio. So the kid has a sense of history. I love that. Yeah, I mean you can find the a screenshot of the way he uh, the way he was dressed heading into the ring on my Twitter at Carlos Toro Media cheap plug right there. But yeah, it looked just it just looked great. He looked great. It, like this kid, he has the it factor. Like, also, he just has Carlos, it. Carlos, the the rumor was the reason the first Fury Wilder fight was postponed was because Anderson had hurt Fury doing training. You heard that same rumor. I heard that same rumor. I can't say whether or not it was actually true, but doesn't it just feel like every time Anderson fights that rumor just feels more and more plausible? 
that could be the heavyweight championship of the world in two years. It, it very mel- very well could be. They're both Arab fighters. The main event, Vasily Lomachenko versus Richard Comey. Is exact, exactly how we had predicted it would went. It went. We both predicted a 12-round wide, wide unanimous decision by Lomachenko. Lomachenko looked great. The only problem I had was that that damn Joe Testator trying, and I'm I'm happy Andre Ward stepped in. Testator was like, well, in his fight against uh, in his fight against uh, Lopez, his last fight, he didn't fight well for for six rounds because he was favored to show that Andre Ward was like, I don't believe that. No, that wasn't proven to me. Like, yeah, so Lomachenko was Lomachenko was his usual Lomachenko self. He was. Very quick on the uptake, using his angles, moving around the ring, just mentally frustrating Richard Comey. Comey really didn't get to land anything significant for most of the fight. It was really well, just... he, he he did land some hellified body shots though. Like, he, he did, he did. He did. But... That was his best offense. Was a he tried? Comey tried his best. He's just not on on Lomachenko's level. But uh, for those. Other fighters like Cambosos and Haney and uh, uh, Garcia, you see that there is a they they you go to uh, Lomachenko's body, you got a shot, you got a shot. Um, but Loma was Loma, and the question I wanted to ask you, Carlos, mm-hmm. who is the favorite? And gun to your head, who do you think? Gets that top next title shot against Cambosos. Oh, my two favorites to land that fight are Lomachenko and Haney. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, Lomachenko and Haney are. Yeah, you would think you would think that those are the two favorites, and I probably would agree with you. I just don't know. There probably have to be a lot. I think the problem with Haney, I worried that Haney might be asking for too much money for that fight to happen and mm-hmm. if Cambosos is dead set on fighting in Australia next you also have to take into account the the pandemic and flight restrictions you have to mm-hmm. take into account that so I'd say there's just as much of a chance of being Lomachenko and Haney going up against Cambosos than a run of the mill contender just to get that one, that first title defense out the way, and two, keep him busy, and three, maybe even still have that. Yeah, but a, run, a run-of-the-mill contender is not going to get you a, a big crowd in Australia. No. No, but I, there's plenty of venues you can do ten to 15,000. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And build up to getting that, you know, that 50,000 like we saw with the just, Jeff Horn manufacturing I just don't like him taking a chance against a run-of-the-mill contender and walking into a shot. I'd, I'd rather him go straight to one of the big guns. You know, I agree. Let's let's get these guys starting to fight each other. Let's stop fighting other people. Right? Let's start getting. You know, we saw all these light lightweights recently, but none of them fought each other. Right? They all fought, but none of them fought each other. Let's get them in the ring. Let's get them in the ring. And um, you talked about Josh Taylor earlier. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Josh Taylor versus Teofimo Lopez because looking at Lopez, he can't make 135 anymore. No. No way. No, he can't. He can't. By the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out this from the lomachenko comic fight. There were two instances in the fight 
And I don't think I've ever seen this before. I've always fantasized about a boxer doing this. But I never actually imagined a fight act someone actually doing this. But there was a point, I think it was the fourth round, where Lomachenko lands a pretty good, I think it was a one-two or a left hand that just stuns Richard Comey with like five seconds left. And then Lomachenko, instead of just pushing through, he steps back, points to Comey's corner, and instructs Comey, you go there, just before the round ends. Yep, yep. And then yep. later in the fight, Lomachenko starts hurting Comey. And they Lomachenko doesn't fully pull the trigger because he's too busy telling Comey's corner, you better stop this fight. You better stop this fight right now. But you see, had you see, I didn't like that because if he would have, if if he would have jumped on him, he could have stopped Comey right there. That 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 allowed Comey to survive and clear his head. I did not like that. The first part I was tickled. I was I, I chuckled at that. I thought that was cute. I never saw that before. Go to your corner, let him go. But the second time when he told his corner to stop the fight, that showmanship, that 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 was BS. And he would have served better to jump on Comey. Comey was ready to go. Right, yeah. And it's not like Lomachenko was just like beating Comey like a like an Ivan Drago to Apollo Creed. It was nowhere yeah, but, near but that Co bad. But Comey was, was was very hurt at that point when he told the corner to stop the fight. When he when he when he did that. And um then Comey cleared his head and um was able to survive. Alright, and listen, and kudos to Richard Comey because dude is a warrior. Like in me. He he, he gives he gives a thousand percent in every fight. I mean, he is what he is. He's he's a one trick pony. He's got that big right hand. You neutralize that right hand, like Lopez did and like Lomachenko did. He's not going to win. Uh, he's a dangerous fighter for anybody, but he's a step below the guys that we want to see fight Lomachenko. Period. So, what do you think is next for Loma if it's not Combosis? If it's not Cambosos, uh, that's an even that's an even trickier question to answer because I know that Bob Aaron has started teasing a potential Lomachenko versus Chikor Stevenson fight. Now, I don't believe that's happening. This up, well, why is it there any serious discussions for Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez? Months ago, Carlos, we were told that was the plan. Now. That's not even being discussed. What's going on? I I have no idea. And I'm just trying to think about who could be a potential opponent. And who, like, who in the rank in the top 15 of any sanctioned body could, could Lomachenko fight next? And the list is not great. The list is either not great or filled with fighters... That's not going to look, be fighting. Look, I don't. I want to see Lomo. If it's not Shakur Stevenson, which you say you say you highly doubt it. I mean, why not? De well, either him or, or Haney are, uh, is going to fight Cambosos. So why not a, a Ryan Garcia next? So I don't know. These guys don't want to fight each other. I'm not putting Tank in the equation because Tank has his ready-made fighters with PBC, and uh, unless they pay him a mountain, he's not fighting anybody. On that side, so I'm not even including Tank. But what about Ryan Garcia? Hey, what about JoJo Diaz versus uh, Lomachenko? No, that that would be a really good fight. But yeah. 
I mean, Lomachenko wins, but JoJo gives 100%, and we know JoJo's not going to get knocked out. And and Joseph Diaz is also a guy who's very physically impressive. We saw that what that type of body can do in terms of limiting what Lomachenko can do early on in the fight. And I think JoJo can also attack the body that's more, which is also which has kind of been the one the deficiency in Lomachenko's defensive game is he doesn't respond super well to getting hit to the body. As as Salido and Lopez and Comey showed, but uh, JoJo would have to start a lot quicker than he did against Haney. He didn't start against Haney till late in the fight when it was too late. Um, yeah, I would love to see JoJo Diaz versus uh, Lomachenko. That might be the best bet if if Loma doesn't get Cambosos. So we now move on. God, we're almost an hour and we're still recapping shit. We're now going on to the the Showtime Championship boxing card. Which, the first 75 minutes of the top rank card was the best paced show uh, on boxing TV for in a long time. This Showtime card was maybe the worst paced televised card I've ever seen. Or one of the worst paced ones. It started off with the replay of Gervonta David versus Zyka Cruz. So we didn't get into live boxing until... I think after 11 p.m. Eastern, and we still had three fights left. Brandon Lee versus Juan Geraldez. Brandon Lee dominates Juan Geraldez and stops him. Looked really, really good. Showcase he can box as well as he can hit hard because that was been the one question mark is can he even box? We know he can hit hard, but can Brandon Lee actually box? And he proved he can. And look pretty darn good doing that. He was one of the most impressive fighters from Saturday, period, all day, was Brandon Lee. Comment event, Cody Crowley just completely upsets Kudratillo Abdukakurov with a unanimous decision victory. Crowley went down in the second round from a flash knockdown, and then Crowley mm-hmm. went to work and just started to out-hustle, out-work, and out-box Abdukakurov for the remainder of the fight. Wins a unanimous decision, 97-92, 95-94, 98-91. Crowley looked really, really impressive. And the fight itself was actually very, very good. I I think it was Al Bernstein who said this was an, an, an action chess match, which I think is the best way to describe it. It wasn't fully technical, but it wasn't an outright slugfest either. It was high-paced boxing but it was very bloody. It was very, very bloody because Abdi Kakarov had a cut uh, around the left ear. And both of those guys, they were bloody all over. I mean, it was a it was a good fight. And Crowley's stock went up significantly. And if you're Errol Spence Jr., you're probably celebrating right now because Abdi Kakarov was the mandatory challenger to Errol Spence's IBF welterweight title. That you would imagine that is no longer the case in the event. Yeah, but is it? It would. It wouldn't be Boots now. Boots was the number three contender. They had no number two. I would imagine in that situation, I believe that they probably would still have to put Boots in through a title eliminator just to just so that uh, just to fill oh, out that either number they, one, they, number they, two they, spot. Then put Boots versus Crawley. That could work. I yeah, 
yeah, you can absolutely do that. And he's How definitely that'd earned be, it. That, he's earned that'll, it. That'll be a nice. That'll be a nice test for Boots. Uh, if he can knock out Crawley, Crawley's a tough son of a bitch. I would. I would. And he's a crafty son of a bitch. I would. I would love to see Boots against Crawley. Be a, a probably be his toughest. Yeah, it would be his toughest fight in his career at that time. And the winner gets the number one contender. Becomes the number one contender. Yep, I, you know what? Fully agree with you on that. The main event, Nonito Donaire versus Raymar Gabayo for the WBC bantamweight title. If we thought there was no, almost no chance, heading into the fight, we all thought there's no chance Gabayo was going to even lay a finger on Donaire. Boy, we were proven right. <laughs> this was a beat. This was, hey, Donaire looked great. 39. I remember you you tweeted about uh, one of the great comeback stories in boxing history at his age. This is right up there with uh, Bernard Hopkins when he beat uh, Antonio Tarver, when everybody thought he was done after losing to Jermaine Taylor twice. It's on that same level where a guy that old is looking as great as ever. I mean... And, and, but the thing is, it's not that it's a guy this old looking as great as he does. It's the fact that this is a guy who, how many times throughout his career have we counted him out? We counted well, him out Nich- in the after, loss after against Nich- Nicholas after, Walters. We after counted- R- Rigandow, after Walters, after, after Magdaleno, Magdaleno, after, after, after Frampton. Frampton. Yep, four times. And in some regards, after it anyway. You know what? Make it five. Because I thought he should have retired right then and there. Now he, I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. He then he just comes in round and just dominates Nordingo Bali in May, and then scores his phenomenal fourth round knockout, left hook to the body. Gabayo went down, and he was so hurt he tried to get up, and he just couldn't. He was in so much pain he went back down to one knee. I had tweeted this. And I will say this: this is one of my proudest analogies, and I did this at like almost two a.m. And I'm I'm sticking by it. That left hook from Nonito Donaire, to me, he that left hook is to boxing as Mar as Mariano Rivera's cutter is to baseball. A single weapon that has defined what is essentially a first ballot Hall of Famer's career for many, many years. He's got other weapons. But boy, that one weapon, you prepare for it mentally, physically, emotionally, and it just, it still hits you. It's hey, even even in his blowout losses to Rigandow and Walters, he, he, he seriously hurt Walters with the left hook in the only, one he, in the only round he won. And the only round he won in my card against Rigandow, he dropped Rigandow with that left. So... He's never out of a fight, even when he's getting beat badly. No, and it, it is about as reliable of a weapon I think I've ever seen in a boxer, and, and, and which is why I thought this is essentially Mariano Rivera's cutter, because that cutter has essentially been the sole defining weapon of Mariano Rivera for 20 years or so, being the closer for the New York Yankees. Great analogy. Great analogy. Uh, the left hook. Yeah, the, I'm going to start calling Onito Donaire the Mariana Rivera of boxing. 
Because <laughs> Mariano pitched into his early 40s before he finally retired. Now, I will also mention this. As great as I thought that my tweet making that comparison was, there were some great responses to that. I'm trying to uh, look up the specific one, but y'all, for those who don't know, Mariano Rivera's he he comes out to every time he gets into the field, he comes out to Mr. Sandman. No, into the Sandman. into the into the Sandman, right? Yeah. One response, well, I think David Griezmann he says, and when Donaire lands his hook, enter Sandman. Yep, into the you 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 you're going to sleep into Sandman. And you know it's funny how Mariano used to come out to that to that song, and he's and he he's nothing like that persona. What this the song brings out, yeah. Mariano's a quiet, religious young man, and he used to come out. So it's Donaire. Donaire's very very religious. Yeah, great great comparison. Oh my you know, maybe goodness, the comparison just gets stronger Maybe Donaire needs to start coming out to the ring to enter the Sandman. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would be amazing. It would be phenomenal. <laughs> so, speaking of Inoue, as just mentioned, Inoue fought about, let's see, about what? 16 hours after, uh, 16 hours prior to this recording. And when we mentioned how there was almost no chance that Gray Mark Gabaya was going to land a finger on Nonitu Denaire, that sentiment was a hell of a lot stronger with Naoya Inoue's opponent, Aaron Depayan, who probably not ranked maybe in most people's top 50 at 118 pounds. Anyway, knocks him out in the eighth round to retain his WBA and IBF Bantamweight titles, highlighted by the very, very rare triple uppercut that lands clean on the chin. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm not impressed. Oh, uh, Monster is my favorite fight actor fighter today. I wasn't impressed by that because he was fighting a zombie. Yeah, you're not going to do that against. You're not going to do that against a Casemiro. You're not. You know, no. You you're leaving. No, he he did that because he knew this guy had quit by then. Yeah. Um, the issue the issue with this with all this was uh, not the fight, but the entire event that took place in Japan. There was no U.S. broadcaster. Uh, top rank had nothing to do with his promotion, huh? How the hell do you not have a U.S. broadcaster for this? When, especially when it's a top rank fighter. It makes absolutely no sense. And I think it was Dan Rayfield who yesterday said, like, I think it was for, like, a technical reason that they just couldn't get a signal out for outside Japan. Bullshit! That's some bullshit. That's bullshit. How the hell do you not have... Are you telling me that you can't even get a goddamn camcorder? Can you hook it up to a laptop? And just stream it on YouTube. How the hell do you not? Even better yet, better just take that same signal in Japan and just put it on YouTube and make it a freaking $5 pay-per-view for all all outside of Japan. All I know is the 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 copy I saw on YouTube that came out an hour after the fight was picture perfect, clear. So whoever televised that could have easily gotten with ESPN or Aram and had it broadcast over here. And right, Carlos, top rank had nothing to do with this promotion. How's that? It, it, I, it, I I don't know. I don't know. How is how is he able to fight 
I mean, for here's the thing. Top Rank never fit. really announced anything. There was no press release about his about him fighting uh, Aaron DePaya. No mention about this fight. None. I'm sorry, but ever since the World Boxing Super Series, there I've never uh, no top guy has been promoted as badly as Inouye. Granted, yeah. part of it has to do with the pandemic, but can't use the pandemic as an excuse forever. You can't. He, he needs to move on from Aram. And the only fight, there's only two fights I want to see Inouye involved in. Either a rematch with Donaire or move up and fight Fulton at 122. Those are the only two fights I'm interested in. I don't want to see him against Casemiro because he's going to put Casemiro in a casket. I don't want to see that. I want to see him fight. Donito or Fulton? That's the only two guys I want to see him fight right now. Hell, you you might get that trip to 122 sooner rather than later because then you always said, yeah, if I can't get a unification fight, I'm going to 122. Yeah, and I, and I, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Uh, you have two guys at 122 that hold the four belts, right? You have Fulton, and I keep forgetting how to say the other guy's name. Uh, Morgan Akhmadaliv. I, w- I would love to see Inouye fight him first, and then the winner, it's going to be Inouye. After Inouye beats him, then fights Stephen Fulton for, every- for all the marbles, and Inouye should be a free agent. This this deal with top rank has done nothing but set his career back. Yeah. I, man, I, I feel bad because Inouye is a once-in-a-lifetime talent. He's a generational talent. He he's my He's my number one. Yeah, I, I would agree. On the undercard, we had actually, an, I would say betting odds-wise, an upset win, an upset title win. Masataka Taniguchi drops Wilfredo Mendes early and then stops him in the 11th round, almost bloodies the poor man, to win the WBO minimum weight title. It was kind of, it was somewhat one-sided from the very, very beginning of the fight and... Mendes was Puerto Rico's lone male world champion in boxing at the moment, but I mean, this was this was almost a beaten. He, I mean, Mendes was just outclassed almost every way imaginable, and you can say whether or not it was the two year or almost two year layoff that had to do with it, or the, having to go all the way to Japan or whatever or anything, but. Regardless, Taniguchi came to fight from the very beginning, and he's been and he's been looking really good since the last loss to Vic Saldar back in 2019, and he he rightfully earned that win, and he's a guy that could be a, a problem on a 105 for a while, or even 108. He's only 27 years old. Sky's the limit now for him. And he's been fighting tough fighter after tough fighter for. Almost his entire career. He's been fighting professionally since 2016. And he's only 27. But in that span, he's fought guys like Reya Konishi, Subasakura, Vic Saldar, as I just mentioned. He's He doesn't fight stiffs nope. all the time. No, he's, nope. he's been nope. mixing up with some tough guys every so often. This is only a, That was only his 18th pro fight, by the way. Which is crazy. 
Also in not not Japan, but in Asia, in Thailand. We also had another WB uh, another minimum weight title fight, but this one from the WBA. And this was Knockout CP Freshmart scoring what may be one potentially an early uh, not early, but late candidate for knockout of the year, or at least in that top ten. Knocked out Robert Paradero in the fifth round to retain his title. Looked pretty darn good in what was actually his second world title defense in two months or about 10 weeks or so, which is something you don't see in boxing a whole lot often is having a champion defend his belt in less than three months. So. The potential is there for a potential knockout CP Freshmart versus Masataka Taniguchi unification fight. I think that would actually do uh, be a really good entrance for those who are a fan of the 105 pound division because boy, CP Freshmart has been slowly getting some good momentum in his career because God, before 2021. He was his stock was very very low, just lackluster performance. Oh wait a minute, ben, let's back let's backtrack a second. You said that Bebito was the only Puerto Rican male world champion. Yeah, Jonathan Labamba Gonzalez. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Early signs of the men. You're too young. For the <laughs> I just, I just realized that's the way we, Gonzalez just beat Owen Soto. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. He's, yeah, he's the WBO light flyweight champion. You're right. I'm sorry. Remember, I, we, were, we were talking about a possible matchup between the two. Well, maybe Bebito now should move up to 108. And maybe really fight good Gonzalez, fight. And maybe fight Gonzalez in Puerto Rico. That could be a really good fight. And that would I be think an that would be. It would be, a, it would be a very tactical fight. I would love to see it. Yeah, and listen, I've been I've been so accustomed to seeing Wilfredo Mendes as the only male world champion in Puerto Rico for so long, which is sad, by the way. The fact that it was only Mendes for so long that especially especially when it comes to the history of boxing in Puerto Rico, for only for him to be the only world champion, and then him and La Bamba for only a couple of months together, you know, yeah. two months you had two. Male world champions. Now you're back down to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got because remember at one time, just recently, you had Yvonne Calderon, Miguel Cotto. You had a few. Uh, what was my man's name that lost to? No, actually, I think he beat Salido, and there was a draw with Salido. What was my man's name? Um, Roman Martinez. Yes, he was a world champion around that time too. So you had several at one point. Now you're down to one again. I mean, and hell, a couple of years ago. When you talk about the WBO light flyweight title, I mean, before Gonzalez, it was so Elwin Soto was the champion, and before Elwin Soto it was El- Angel Acosta. Angel Acosta, right, right. So yeah, no, it is. It's a darn shame. It's a darn shame. That this well, is, it'll it'll change soon. It'll change in a couple. Hopefully, of years. hopefully in five years we'll we'll be talking about five or six different world champions from yeah. Puerto Rico. Because right yeah, now I'll we're take... only down to two: uh, Jonathan Gonzalez and Amanda Serrano. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll have more men and women combined. Um, and one of them will not be Edgar Belanga. You can put your money on that. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> <laughs> so the interesting thing about the ratings that came out for the top rank show is that I guess the one thing you can you can 
take put out you can have a couple of takes from from the Lomachenko versus Kome rating. So the card drew on ESPN 1.019 million viewers for the whole telecast. A 0.30 rating in the 18 to 49 demo, third best on cable for the day. By comparison to other post Heisman top rank cards, this was very very weak numbers. I actually thought this could have gone as much as 1.5 million. But then the Heisman numbers were also really down from the from 2019 and 2018 when that was doing almost 3 million. The Heisman one did about 1.8 million. That is really weak numbers. But the interesting thing is that you still did you still had a broadcast that was basically running for almost three hours almost half of which it seemed like you it was spent on Tyson Fury wishing Bob Arum happy birthday after the co-made event but boy I don't know if the if, you know some could look at it still as a positive because I think it is solid numbers but doesn't it seem like now there's there could be more, a bigger focus on shifting boxing, live boxing away from ESPN television and more onto the plus? It almost comes seems that way. I hope not. I hope not. You're not going to gain more uh, fans by having it on that ESPN Plus app. Uh, remember, we talked about how it affected the Terrence Crawford, Sean Porter pay per view numbers. Because you had to buy the app to buy the pay-per-view. What kind of nonsense is that? Yeah, it's... And you I, couldn't make that. You couldn't make that where you could just go and order on demand off your cable. You had to get an app to work it on a smart TV. It didn't make no goddamn sense. It was it was stupid. It, it, whoever told Bob, whoever advised Bob Arum and ESPN to do that should be fired. Carlos, imagine the amount of, of revenue lost by doing that nonsense. Yeah. And one thing I also wanted to point out is uh ratings wise, the Showtime card actually pulled some decent numbers. Some actually probably well, decent be, probably be, probably because of the Gervonta Davis replay. A lot of people did not buy that pay-per-view, and that was their first chance to see the fight. So I so the way Showtime's ratings are, they're almost kind of done by segments. Uh, so the at 1.13 a.m., so essentially the Daener fight, that drew 187,000 viewers and a .04 rating the 18-49 demo. The co-main event, I want to say, was, was 186,000 and a .04 rating the 18 to 49 demo. These are actually numbers sort of on par with what, which, what Showtime's been pulling during the pandemic. But I know I'm going to catch flack, but, you know, obviously the, the numbers may seem a lot weaker by comparison to top rank. But Showtime, as I've been told by Showtime execs in the past, they don't care much about the ratings, but they care more about the subscriptions because Showtime is a premium channel. But it's a huge difference because you have to pay extra to get Showtime, or ESPN is part of all everybody's cable package. Yeah, so def- but at the very least, I thought it was interesting that uh, 
that the numbers that they pulled were actually not bad given that this is a card where live boxing didn't start until 11 a.m. Do you have numbers for the Javante Davis replay? Uh, no, I do not. That's I don't know if maybe they just didn't consider it or... That's stupid. I I, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not sure about it uh, uh, about it myself, to be honest with you. So Okay. We have a lot of boxing next Saturday, Robert. Robert, are you ready to do another hour-long recap next week? Because next, we have a lot of boxing coming up. You got Friday and Saturday. Friday, yep, Friday and Saturday. Friday, we have the an ESPN Plus card. Speaking of ESPN Plus, you have at 8 p.m. Eastern, Archer Better Be Evers is Marcus Brown. For the WBC and IBF 175-pound world titles, this is actually a good fight. I actually like this fight. The more I'm thinking hey, about it, the more hey, I'm excited for it. I, I'm predicting better be a, a late-round knockout, but Marcus has punching power, as he's proved in the past. And we don't know about better be and how significant the damage was done by him being hospitalized due to COVID. We saw how lackluster he looked in his last fight. So Marcus Brown is a live underdog. Um, I'm picking better BF, but this could be one of those fights, Carlos, where still lingering from the COVID damage plus getting old overnight, you could see an upset. Very much possible. I, I'm going to hesitantly say Artur better BF by knockout, but by very, by late knockout, but – it's also a combination of both guys just having a very yeah. aggressive forward thinking yes. style as far as their punching is concerned, and Arda better be up just having tremendous power. And there's no defense whatsoever for either fighter, and um, this fight's not going to distance. No way. I don't think so either. Also on that undercard, Marie Eve DeCare versus Cynthia Lasana for the vacant IBF women's 154-pound titles. That's not the only card on Friday at on the zone, actually at 10 a.m. Eastern from Uzbekistan. What may actually end up being potentially the best fight of the entire weekend, Israel Majimov versus Michel Soro in a final eliminator for the WBA junior middleweight title. What time you said that's 10 a.m. in the morning? Yes. Yeah, I'm off Friday, so I, I, I'll, I'll be able to watch that in the morning. All right, good. It's a very, very good fight between a, a guy in Majumov who's been steadily climbing up the rankings with what has been a relatively short pro career. And then you have Michelle Soro, who I would say argue was maybe one of the one of perhaps the three under the radar 154 pounders from a couple of years ago. One of them also being Brian Castaño. Mm-hmm. And Soro yeah, he, he had he had defeated uh, Soro had defeated Jeff Horn, right? No. Who no, was it that defeated? Who did Sorrow upset a few years back? It wasn't um Horn. Who was it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Who you're talking. I mean, they, are you? You're thinking of Michael Sarafa beating Jeff Horn? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, you know, I got Sorrow and Sarafa mixed up. All right, my bad. Thanks for correcting me. Yeah. So, uh, Sorrow has been looking really damn impressive since a split decision loss to Brian Castaño, who you can argue should be the undisputed junior middleweight champion right now. He's won his last five, four of which by stoppage or knockout, 
inside five rounds or less. He's looking better and better, and I think he's coming in as a very live dog. Madrimov, a very, very skillful fighter, 154 pounds, but I still don't think he's fully there yet as being as far as being a polished pro we'll, fighter. We'll see. We'll see Friday morning. Because if he beats Sorrow, he's the real deal. Yes, I, I agree. So and the winner becomes the mandatory challenger for the WBA title, which is currently being held by Jamel Charlo. So, could have like a almost a mini tournament depending on what transpires for the potential winner of a fight between Charlo and Castaño later on next year. Also on that undercard, you got Shakron Giyasov, Hassan Boy Dusmatov, and back the bully, back to Mir Melikusiev in his first fight since the upset loss to Gabe Rosado earlier this year, which. It's still in the running for one of the for as one of the biggest upsets and one of the biggest it's, knockouts it, of the year. It's it's not winning upset of the year. Um, it's in the conversation at the very least. It's in the conversation, but it's not winning upset of the year. Saturday, you got the rematch between Joseph Parker and Derek Chisora. Why are we doing this again? Oh, come on. What the, why is Chisora still fighting? I don't understand it. I don't want to seem disrespectful, but it. But the, how many times Eddie Hearn, gonna, Eddie Hearn has done. Put a, okay, him you, out there. I mean, come on. Eddie Hearn has done a masterful job at getting, uh, at get, squeezing out as much business as you can out of Derek Chisora, a guy who is, who can argue has never really been a top ten heavyweight at any point oh. in his career. But it's he's still the, somehow a big draw in the UK. He's the Iron Mike Sharp of boxing. He beats the other jobbers, but he's a jobber to the stars. Chisora has lost twice to Tyson Fury, twice to Dillian White, and he's about to lose twice to Joseph Parker. Why are we doing this? Why do they keep bringing this guy back? Come on. I hope he retires after Stitt. Parker, put about the pasture, please. Yeah, I'm not. Ex- I'm not super excited about that. Uh, that fight. I do like the undercard, though. You got Carlos Gongora, who is a sneaky good 168 hey, pounder hey, for the Laroni Richards. He is. He is one of the five most underrated fighters in the sport today. All right, and while I think Canelo would beat him, he'd give Canelo hell. The kid hustles. He gives it his all. I love watching him fight, and he's, like you said, completely under the radar. You also got uh, the European bantamweight title fight between Lee McGregor, who's been looking very, very impressively as of late, between... Actually, wait, I don't know if that... Actually, I could be wrong. I don't know if that fight is still going on because he's not appearing on BoxRec. His fight's not appearing on Jaboxer, so maybe also scratch that. But you also got uh, this fight definitely on. Jack Collin, who still has one of boxing's best, uh, best nicknames, Little Leaver's Meat Cleaver. <laughs> it's a great name. It's a great nickname. You got, You have to admit. Yes. Versus Kevin Lele Sajo for the European Super Middleweight title. And Jack Collin, I mean, he's been getting... He, he got a little bit of boost in his stock by beating Avni Yudrim 
in Yildren's first fight since the Canelo loss, but... You know what? I think this is a nice progression fight. He's not quite there yet as far as being a a top, top name at 168 pounds or, or a contender per se. He's, not, he's kind of like a fringe contender just getting out of his prospect uh, status. He's entering his physical prime. He's 28 years old, so he needs to step it up right now because he's not getting any younger. And you also got an... an IBF Super Featherweight title eliminator, Selva Barrett versus Bruno Torimo, which could be a sneaky good fight as well on the undercard. Barrett has been inconsistently good. Let's put it that way. Since he lost to Ronnie Clark by majority decision back in 2018. He's got some good wins. He's got he's gotten wins over the likes of Leon Stock, Eric Donovan, and the and a win over Kiko Martinez back in February, though obviously that is the controversial fight that many thought yeah. Zelfa yep. should have lost. But yep. Zelfa is still a decent fighter. I don't think um, he's ranked number seven on boxer. I don't think he's that good, but he he this could be a very very good fight. And Bruno Torimo, he's been making his. He's been making his name and climbing up the rankings under the care of Tony Tolch, who may know him as the manager for Andrew and Jason Baloney. He, Bruno could potentially do some damage. I'm picking Selva Barrett to win this one. I think, it's, I think Bruno does not have the power necessary to really make this competitive. But it's an IPF world title eliminator so you never know what happens ne- uh, what happens in these types of fights and then you have three different f- cards at night on fox you got david morrell versus alante's fox which is in good fight it's another it's another one of those progression fights for a guy in david morrell who's in a very very weird spot he's technically holding a belt he's not a world champion but he's still incredibly young as a as a pro. He's a gifted fighter. The, 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 the sky's the limit for this kid if they match him correctly. Yes. So, but obviously, he said he he'd be down to fight Canelo Alvarez. I remember talking it's to David too, Morrell. It's, too, ago, it's too early. It's too way early. Way too early. Way David, too early. Calm down. He's got great potential. The kid is a future real world champion, but. Let's calm down with the Canelo talk right now. On the other card, you got Jose Valenzuela versus Austin Dulé, Alberto Pollo versus Vashon Owens, and then on FS1, before the Fox card, you got a actually a really good FS1 card. Main event, Richardson Hitchens versus Malik Hawkins, Hector Luis Garcia versus Isaac Avalar, and Surrey Matmutovich versus Pacino Hill. Which that has the makings of a pretty decent undercard, all things considered, especially that fight between Richardson Hitchens and Malik Hawkins. The weird. I love I love I love the Fox Sports One main event. I like Hitchens. I like Hawkins. I'm looking forward to seeing that. The one fight that is not making TV that I am scratching my head at: Anthony Sims Jr. versus Manny Woods. That's a good fight. I don't understand. I don't understand. That's not making that's not, TV. That's, I don't understand it either. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's a 
that that I really hope there's got to be at least some way to at least watch highlights of it because that's like too good of a fight to just leave off of TV in my opinion. But regardless, 9 p.m. Eastern, we got uh, the zone card between Gilberto Suldo Ramirez versus Unieski Gonzalez, WBA light heavyweight title eliminator. Presumably, uh, Ramirez is going to take this fight as the launching pad to try and force Dimitri Bivol to fight him. But this is... Let's get let's get that fight done, please, because I'm tired, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, of Bivol fighting the run-of-the-mill fighter that has no shot at beating him. Uh, Ramirez versus Bivol, that would be a cr- an incredible fight because you know Ramirez is going to bring the pressure and Bivol's a tremendous boxer. Their styles mesh perfectly. Yeah. As great as Alberto Ramirez has looked it, as of late, but we also gotta we also gotta admit that Ramirez has been fighting guys who have been relevant in the light heavyweight division a couple of years ago. Not in 2021. 2018? Yeah. 2017? Sure. 2021? No. Absolutely not. Yeah, Gonzalez is done. Come on. And, and his last fight against Sullivan Barrera, as great as done. Ramirez has looked in that fight. Barrera, I'm sorry. I know people like Sullivan Barrera. I, I, I never thought he was that great. I never thought he was that good. I always thought he was a fringe top 10 at best. Not Jesse Hart's is be- Jesse Hart's best victim. Yeah, yeah, and even then, that was a—I mean, it was kind of a lackluster win. But you're right, you're right. That's that's his best victory. Um, you got on the main. You also got on that card, Sinis Estrada, uh, Estrada defending her minimum weight belt against Mar- Maria Santiso, and then last but not least, you got Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley too. The rematch. No one was asking for. He also got... By the way, the reason Robert's not saying anything is because he's essentially taking a vow of silence over when it comes to discussing this fight. But on the undercard, you got Amanda Serrano, which is always yes. entertaining. Yes. entertaining. Yes. And a then, real fight. One fight that I don't think people are talking enough about is... I believe this is scheduled to be the... The pay-per-view opener, you got Yomar Alamo going up against a favorite of ours. He's always, always, always fighting on the Telemundo uh, all-star boxing cards. And being Yomar Alamo, going up against Liam Paro, an Australian who's also unbeaten. You got a combined record of 41 Zero losses and one draw with 25 knockouts. This is essentially almost a make-or-break fight for uh, for both of these guys because 140 pounds is getting a increasingly yep. loaded with young up-and-coming yep. talent. Earlier this year, on the undercard of a Jake Paul fight, we saw Montana Love just really shine under that stage against Ivan Branchik. This has the makings to be... Something very similar. Very, very similar. I'm excited for this fight. I actually think this is going to be a really, really good fight to yes. follow. Hey, uh, Alamo, Alamo, however you say his name, 
always comes and his for those who haven't seen him fight he's been on Telemundo several times over the last few years always entertaining so uh that's the best fight of the night on on that card on that uh card that uh it's going to do abysmal buys thank you cuz it's going up against live boxing and people remember the first clown fight between the two knuckleheads and it's not going to get any better <laughs> I am curious, what who do you think would win between Darren Williams and Frank Gore, which is also on this card? If it's a free throw shooting contest, Deron Williams. It's if if it's a, a I don't know, Frank Gore might might not beat Deron Williams in a hundred yard dash because uh the hits to his yeah, I'd have to go with Deron Williams. I think he has more leg speed left. Uh leaping ability, I gotta go with Deron Williams if it was a high hurdle. Uh, if they could try to clear the goalpost, yeah. Boxing, I could care less. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm very curious to see where the winner gets ranked on box rec after this. Hey, it's not going to uh, be dead last. I can tell you this the much. Fa- the fact that they actually have this guy who I refuse to name, who's in the main event, as having an undefeated record. With wins over Nate Robinson County, that that is that that is ludicrous, and I don't understand it. How could you have those as official fights when Nate Robinson never trained? He never stepped into a ring before that night, huh? He is ranked. Jake Paul is ranked six hundred fifty eighth in the world out of nine hundred ninety nine. Do you think that there are three hundred and forty one cruiserweights worse than him? No, really? I think he's worse. He's, I think he's worse than all those guys if they if they were real fighters, if they're real boxers. Hell no. I mean, technically, Tyron Woodley is is ranked is he's one of not, those guys worse. Uh, he's not a real boxer. Ben Askren is Ben Ben Askren is hilarious because he's nine hundred sixty six out of nine hundred ninety nine. According to the boxer algorithm, they're actually thirty-three cruiserweight rates I don't, worse. I don't, I'm talking about real boxers. I'm not talking about guys <laughs> that stepped in the ring for the first time. So, I don't know how many of those guys that 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 they have ranked are real fighters or uh, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is this cartoon shit. F them. <laughs> All right, I think that about does it for this episode, this marathon of an episode, which is per- which perfectly encapsulates how long uh, last Saturday was. But there was so much boxing to talk about. Robert, working to good people, read your work and find you on social media. All right, on Twitter, Robert Silva five seven six eight, Fight Game Media, the parent website of this podcast and of the Patreon podcast, the uh, the specials that we'll be doing monthly soon with the greatest subsets in boxing history. Right now I'm doing on the Fight Game Media website uh, a weekly article on the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years. The most recent one that was published was my number 26, Chocolatito Roman Gonzalez. Number 25 will be coming out very soon and that's on Finito (laughs) Ricardo Lopez. Uh, a fighter that never gets his due, Carlos, despite the fact that he retired undefeated. You can, and you can also read my work at fightgamemedia.com and also find me on Twitter at Carlos Toro Media. 
That'll do it for this episode of the Pound for Pound podcast. He's Robert Silva. I'm Carlos Storer. Thank you so much for joining every single week and for tuning in. We'll see you all in the next one. Goodbye.